one. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, Big Sarge. I know that you all are used to me coming in with my signature hard work cadence, uh, running cadence from the military. And, you know, that's how I start off every show. But uh, in light of what happened, the tragedy of us losing, you know, such a iconic sports figure and Kobe Bryant on this past Sunday, along with his daughter, Gigi, and the seven other passengers who lost their life in the uh, helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. I just felt the need to come in uh, without any music, without any, you know, any cadence or anything like that, and just offer a moment of silence for those victims of the um, helicopter crash that happened on Sunday. So I'm going to take a moment of silence first. Thank you. Once again, make sure you keep the, those families, not just Kobe Bryant's family, but everyone who, who lost their who lost their loved one. Keep their, their family, friends, co-workers, you know, church members. Keep them all in your prayers. Once again, you listen to the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, Big Sarge. And with me tonight, I have one of my really good friends, one of the guys that I lean on heavily when it comes to Football knowledge, I, I swear this guy is a walking savant. He is a walking, like most people go to profootballreference.com. I go to Chris Kennedy's mind. I just hit him up on any type of social media platform and say, hey, man, what you think about this? Or, hey, you got a stat for this? And all of a sudden, I get a response just like that. One of the sharpest minds when it comes to football. I, and when I say the sharpest minds, I mean, like, knows the game in and out. Um, tonight with me as a guest, I have Chris Kennedy, who is a fantasy football and DFS analyst for the Fantasy Headliners. He's also the co-host of the Fantasy Wolfpack, which is a part of the Dynasty Wide Sports. Chris, what's going on, man? Calling all the way from Massachusetts, right? That's right, thanks, Sarge. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I know we've been talking about doing this for a long time. And uh, so it's, it's nice to finally get it done. But yeah, no, uh, calling in from, from Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, a little bit a little bit chillier than what you're probably dealing with down there in Texas, but we're all right. So I have to ask, and I, would be, I wouldn't be doing the, the listeners any type of service if I did not ask this question. What, mm-hmm. is the, what, what is the atmosphere like? What is the environment like with the Super Bowl of, about to happen this Sunday? And the New England Patriots are not in it. Like, how are you all surviving? Like, what is the media doing now? Like, what? So, like, do you all see the Patriot players out at the Walmart just be like, hey, be like, hey, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Normally, I'd be gone this time. I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I, I will say this. I've got, I have a funny story. Over, the, over this past weekend, I was hanging out with one of my best friends. And he kind of looks at me and goes, we should probably do something for the Super Bowl, huh? And I thought to myself, yeah, but I mean, our team's not in it. You know, it's the first time in, you know, who knows how long. So it's, it's a very weird feeling up here in New England, uh, especially in Massachusetts, where the New England Patriots are not going to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, it's still going to be a great Super Bowl. I know that, you know, a lot of the local media, they're, you know, they're still covering the Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of them actually are rooting for Jimmy G, former New England Patriot. Um, so you have a lot of you have a lot of 39er fans up here in Massachusetts this week. Hey, listen, I, I think that the one thing that you all should have done as soon as the 
New England Patriots were eliminated from the playoffs, somebody should have went and took the keys to the private jet of uh, Patriots owner Robert Kraft so he couldn't go back to Florida. I think that he should not be in Florida for a while. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't have very good history down there. So I think less less trips to the massage parlor, the better. <laughs> hey, let, let's jump right into this thing, man. We know that this game coming up this Sunday is Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm going to be honest with you. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I got killed when I was co-hosting, uh, when, when I was guest co-hosting this show on last week. And I said that I think it's time to change the name of the Lombardi Trophy to the Belichick Trophy. It's, you know, it's it. He's won what, – what, what does he have, six Super Bowls? He has six Super Bowl victories, mm-hmm. a, a grand total of eight, though, correct? He has eight rings, if I'm not mistaken. So he has, he has six with the Patriots themselves. Um, and since he – you know, since that big run in 2000, 2001, you know, he has a higher winning percentage than any other head coach in, in NFL history. So why not? Like, am I so? You know, Indy uh, Indy Kalu, former NFL player, likes to do this thing about on something or onto something. Like, am I on something or onto something when I say that? Listen, I'm not trying to knock, you know, Vince Lombardi and everything that he's, you know, that he that he did, you know, to advance the game of football. And I'm not trying to take away the legacy of Vince Lombardi. At the same time, though, why can't we give? these people the flowers while they're living and why can't we change the name of the Lombardi trophy to the Bill Belichick trophy like there's no trophy out there there's no other symbol that we can give him in the sport of football to acknowledge what he's done for the game right no I I completely agree with you and this isn't just me being a Patriots fan and you know having a more of a a homer uh, point of view but I think that when it comes to the naming of a trophy, I'm okay if you want to rename it, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the Vince Lombardi trophy, uh, the Stanley, you know, the Lord's family, the Stanley cup. Um, I, I'm okay with doing that, you know, especially when it, it represents the, the greatness, you know, in football that, that we've been able to see um, what we've seen with the New England Patriots and what Bill Belichick has been able to do with this team over the last 20 years. We've never seen it before and we may not ever see it again, at least not in our lifetimes. So certainly, why not pay homage to to a, the greatest that's ever done it? And nothing against Vince Lombardi, as you mentioned earlier, you know. But Vince Lombardi didn't coach the, the Packers for very long. You know what he did to, uh, you know, as as the NFL merged, you know, with the the AFL, you know, the NFL as the, those two leagues merged, um, he did a ton for the game. Don't get me wrong, um, but Bill Belichick has certainly brought that to a completely new level uh, since two thousand. Yeah, so I, I I said the exact same thing, Chris. And like I said, I get told that, oh man, you you you're not right. You can't change that. Like you can't change the name of the trophy. And I'm saying, why not? Who makes these rules? It's almost like because now lately, you know, since the passing of Kobe Bryant, I'm like everybody wants to come in and change the logo. And I was like, no, wait a minute now. If you change this NBA logo, I want somebody to go to things remembered. I have a membership there. I can get you 40% off if you take the Lombardi trophy to things remember and replace <laughs> Vince Lombardi's name with Bill Belichick. But, you know, moving on, we have this game coming up this this weekend between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. Before I get into the matchups that I'm most intrigued to see, is there any matchup that stands out to you? Yeah, so for me personally, the, the matchup that I'm really looking forward to, and it's not necessarily, you know, an individual matchup, but more of a, of a team matchup that I really want to see is 
the, the Chiefs uh, run offense against the 49ers run defense because like both teams, both teams do have a weakness or at least an area of opportunity when it comes to run defense, but especially when it comes to success rate. Um, and, and one stat that I absolutely love is the Chiefs offense it was fifth in the league in rushing success rate, whereas the 49ers defense ranked 21st in the league in rush success rate. And on top of that, the other thing that I really like is early down uh, rushing success. The, 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 the Kansas City Chiefs ranked really, really high when it came to you know, early down rushing success. I believe they were seventh or eighth in the league. But then when the 49ers were trying to stop the run on early downs, they were near the bottom of the barrel, I believe bottom five in the league in early down rushing success. So the 49ers have really struggled in stopping the run on first and second down where the Chiefs have really thrived. So I think that if the Chiefs can get, you know, if they can at least get Damon Williams going early in the game, um, that's really going to set the tone for this football game. It's very interesting because, you know, one of the matchups that I have is um, Andy Reid versus uh, Robert. His name is Sala, right? That's how you pronounce the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator for the 49ers. Um, yep. I have one of those matchups is between those two. And it's interesting that you brought up run defenses and, run, and rush offenses because the Kansas City Chiefs, they have five have combined for only 230 yards rushing on 48 carries in the playoffs. And the San Francisco 49ers are only giving up 3.1 yards per rush. Now, I thought that um, I thought that the Kansas City Chiefs were almost forced um, in the AFC Championship game against Tennessee Titans. It's almost like Tennessee Titans forced them to run because they were rushing three and dropping eight. And they said, we're not going to give you any, you know, big gains as far as the passing game is concerned. So if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us with the run and Patrick Mahomes' legs. And they started to do that. So Andy Reid was like, okay, well, since you're going to give us the run, we're going to take the run until you come out of this defense where you're dropping so many players into the box. And so I've always thought of Andy Reid um, and Eric Bieniemy as a pass-first type offense. But you're saying that, you know, you, you're, you're telling us right now that they are very good on first and second down as far as rushing is concerned, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, back to your point with, you know, going up against the, the Titans in the in the AFC championship game, that it was absolutely right. You know, they really did make a focus on on running the ball because the Titans, you know, they were very good. Their secondary was, I don't want to say they were a great secondary, uh, but their strength of that defense was in their secondary. So they really, the, the Chiefs did have to really rely on, on running the ball. Patrick Mahomes using his legs a little bit more. You didn't necessarily see those big, deep gains that you saw against the Houston Texans in the divisional matchup. So the Titans definitely, you know, were a much more formidable opponent opponent on defense as opposed to what they saw in the Texans. So I think with the Super Bowl going up against the Niners, who are a top three defense in the league, you know, they really are going to have to have to pick and choose their spots of where they're going to exploit this really good 49ers defense. In late December, the Kansas City Chiefs were able to get a huge addition to their defense and linebacker Terrell Suggs, who was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the 2011 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He also, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> he also won a Super Bowl ring with the Baltimore Ravens. And so they were able to get him after the Arizona Cardinals cut him. 
Do you see him having at least one good run left in him, one good game? Because I don't think – I think after this game, if they win, he's definitely going to retire. And I think if they lose, he's definitely going to retire. But I think that he has one good run left in him, one good game. And I think that he could be one of the keys in confusing uh, 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the edge. Am I being crazy here? No, not not at all. Because when you look at the 49ers and, and that offensive line – um, they actually are, are a little bit below average when it comes to offensive pressure rate allowed. Um, you know, they're kind of right around the same line as the New York Giants and the Oakland Raiders when it comes to that offensive line. So they, they do have that line that is susceptible to the pass rush. And what we've seen with Terrell Suggs, you know, he's a guy that this could be his very last game in the NFL, you know, before he rides off into the sunset. He has that ring with the Baltimore Ravens. And he wants to get one more. So I really think that you could see him just completely, you know, just put everything on the line this Sunday. And against this 49ers offensive line, it's absolutely possible that he could finish the game with a sack. Yeah, I also I think that exact same thing. I think that he's going to, like I said, cause some type of confusion that they haven't seen before. Because what the only type of film that you really have on him is the last couple of games he played with them. And like I said, I think that he has one good game left in him, especially if you can end your career with a Super Bowl victory. And, you know, this is this is your last opportunity in order to get another ring. And so it's that's one of the matchups that I'm looking forward to. Another matchup that I'm looking forward to is tight end George Kittle for the 49ers versus the Honey Badger for the Kansas City Chiefs, which is Tyron Matthew. Now, you got all pro going against all pro. And Tyron Matthew, I heard Deion Sanders say on the show today that his second half run with the Kansas City Chiefs made them great, made them what they are as far as the defensive identity is concerned, and that he is the Patrick Mahomes of that defense. And so when I went and looked back, and when I went back and looked, I said, you know, he didn't he didn't play that bad, which is probably why he made second team um, all pro. But when you're going up against a monster like George Kittle, who – you know, I think he only has 35, 35 yards. I think he has four catches for 35 yards and no touchdowns. And now he's – this game is for all the marbles, and he's going to be just like um, Terrell Suggs. Hey, I want to get involved. I want to be involved. Give me give me the ball. Give me the ball. And when he plays inspired like that, when he plays like, I don't mind blocking, but by the same token, I want to use me. And when you have a, a, a safety, you know, a defensive back like Tyron Matthew who has no fear – like it, he is. I've never seen a guy on the football field. You know, only a couple of guys. Excuse me. I've seen a couple of guys on the football field that says, "I don't care. I'm uh, every play. I'm going all out." Like Earl Thomas. That's what I loved about Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is one of those guys. Like, listen, I know that I'm small, but I play this position very, very big. And so that's the matchup that I'm looking forward to, um, and seeing. You know, but I have the advantage of George Kittle. What about you? Absolutely. Um, I think that George Kittle is the best overall tight end in the league. You know, whether it's receiving, I think he's hands down the best blocking tight end in the league. He's the closest thing that we've seen to Rob Gronkowski, uh, to be honest with you. And that's because Gronk was such a complete tight end, whether it was, you know, receiving, you know, what he could do athletically, blocking. Um, he, he was just, he was a massive factor in all aspects of that offense. And that's what George Kittle brings to this 49ers offense. Um, the one thing with George Kittle that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is that he is playing with a torn labrum, I believe, in his right shoulder, which he has been playing with 
since last season, uh, his, his labrum is completely torn and surgery cannot fix it. So it's pretty much a pain tolerance thing at this point. Um, so of course, I'm sure he's getting shot up with something before the game to kind of help with the pain. Uh, but when you're looking at this 49ers, def- oh, sorry, the, the Chiefs defense, um, the, you know, with, with George Kittle, the, the Chiefs have actually been pretty good against tight ends this year. So um, that's one thing that I'm going to be looking at is that matchup that you, you know, that, that we kind of talked about here is what can George Kittle do? Because as you mentioned, he was super involved in, in the NFC championship game, but I think he's going to be pivotal in this game. Um, George Kittle, along with the 49ers run offense, is really going to be the key to this football game, for at least on offense for San Francisco. And what is it, Chris, what is it about that run offense for the 49ers that confuses so many defense and, you know, makes them so successful? Well, it's because they have this three-headed monster. You never really know who's going to get the bulk of the carries. Um, I mean, it very well could be Raheem Mostert. It could be Tevin Coleman. And then you have Matt Breda. Uh, you have is, these is different Coleman backs who have different... Because I thought that he made... Coleman been- is... I know that he's questionable. Um, okay. I know that he had that uh, that separated shoulder, so he's still questionable. Okay. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I believe that he has been a limited participant in practice, so we'll have to get a little more information as we get closer to Sunday. But even if he doesn't play, you still have Mostert and Brader, uh, Breda. So you have Mostert who can handle more of that first and second down um, you know, load for them. And then you have Matt Breda on third down, who's a very good receiving down back. So um, with this running offense, you know, it's really going to, I think, hurt the, the Chiefs defense because when you look at the Chiefs defense and what they've allowed to opposing running backs this season, they've allowed almost 110 rushing yards per game and almost 60 receiving yards per game to opposing running backs uh, just in the regular season alone. So that's the biggest Achilles heel for this Kansas City Chiefs defense because their biggest strength has been their secondary. They've been amazing this year in defending wide receivers but against the running backs, they've really struggled. Do you think that going up against the, the experience of going against the NFL rusher, uh, Tennessee Titans, running back Derrick Henry, do you think that that may have helped them to prepare more for this type of uh, <clears throat> rushing attack from the 49ers? Or is it something that Kyle Shanahan does in his offense with the movement and the blocking schemes that was going to totally keep them at bay? That's the thing with Kyle Shanahan. I never really know what the heck he's going to do from game to game um, because you don't know who the, the, the main guy in that game is going to be. You don't know who is going to plan this game script around. You know, is it going to be Mostert or Breda in the running game? Is it going to be Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel? You know, is it going to be George Kittle? Um, we haven't really seen Jimmy G take over a game yet. And that's mainly because he hasn't had to. He's been able to rely on this great running attack, this phenomenal defense. So he hasn't really been in a situation yet this year where he's had the ball in his hands and Shanahan has gone to him and said, okay, win me this game. This is going to be the game where he may actually have to do that. And this is where we could very well see who the real Jimmy G is. Is he, you know, a guy that is going to go out and actually win you a football game or is he more of a game manager that just isn't going to lose you a game a la Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson? Yes, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do as well because he hasn't had to do that much these last two games in the, in the postseason because of that rushing attack that they have in that 49ers offense. And, you know, everybody likes to go back to the game against the, the shootout game in week 14 between them and the New Orleans Saints. And they talk about, you know, he did very well. I think he had four – I think he had 
259 yards passing or something like that. 259 yards passing. I know he had four touchdowns and one interception. And I said, that's great. I mean, you know, they won the game, what was it, 45-46. They, they did awesome. They scored 48 points. But they also gave up 46 points to Drew Brees, who had five touchdowns that day and no interceptions. And if Drew Brees can do that to you with one wide what do you think that uh, reigning NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to do to you with the track team that he has? And not only that, he's a way more capable runner. He's a better thinker. And I know that that sounds crazy. I know I'm going to get receive a lot of backlash when it comes to this, when I'm saying that Patrick Mahomes is a better thinker than uh, Drew Brees. But he, at this point in their careers, he's a better decision maker than Drew Brees is. And so that's going to also keep – that defense at bay, but I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo can win a shootout against Patrick Mahomes. No, I, absolutely not. I, I don't think so. And that's only because, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is a far more superior quarterback than, than Jimmy Garoppolo is right now at this point in both of their careers. But look at the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has. I mean, you're going to have Kawan Williams in the slot playing up against Tyreek Hill, who Tyreek Hill is going to win that matchup every single time. Um, you know, you're going to have Sammy Watkins on the outside. He's going to be moving into the slot. He's going to be moving onto the, you know, maybe the right side of the field. So he'll probably get matched up with Richard Sherman every now and then, who, as we know, doesn't move away from that left side of the field. So, you know, you're going to have Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill. You're going to have Demarcus Robinson as well, who has a ton of speed. You have Nicole Hardman, who has a ton of speed. So when you look at this offense and it's just going to be a track meet and, I don't see anybody on the, on, the, on the 49ers side of the ball in that secondary that is going to be able to cover them man-to-man -man, You know, when it comes to who can keep up with them step-for-step -step in that man coverage. I think you might see a lot of zone schemes. You might see you know, whether Tyree Kill gets bracketed a lot with a cornerback and a safety. Um, but these, this, this 49ers secondary is not going to be able to keep up with that speed that the Chiefs have you know, in that receiving core. And the last matchup that I'm looking forward to, Chris, is, you know, the aforementioned Patrick Mahomes versus one of the smartest guys to ever play the game of football. I'm a huge Richard Sherman fan, for those of y'all don't know. Let mm. me preface what I'm about to say um, by saying that I look at Richard Sherman as one of the guys, listen, no, he isn't a shutdown corner like Deion Sanders was, but he plays the game, and I put him right up there with Deion Sanders. That's why when he was going back and forth with Darrell Revis, and I got the point what Darrell Revis was saying is like, yo, he's not a shutdown corner. He doesn't travel. He doesn't do this, that, and other. Well, if you're good at what you do, why do you have to go outside of the norm to prove it to somebody else? If he can shut down one side of a field and force you to do things on the other side, he's done his job. That's the exact same thing Deion Sanders used to do. Hey, look, I'm going to shut down an entire side and and you gotta you know do what you need to do so and don't get me wrong i think that the rare Revis was one of one of the best you know defensive backs to ever play the game i think awesome was uh one of the best when josh norman actually had his head in the game and wasn't looking for fame he was a really good defensive back and so when you look at a player like richard sherman uh cornerback for the 49ers he's a thinking He's a he's a thinking man's football player and says, okay, 
this wide receiver, and I think that is, you know, his time playing wide receiver at Stanford, which side note, did you hear? I never knew anything about that story between him and Jim Harbaugh. I never knew that they had beef until I read the story two weeks ago. Oh, really? I didn't read that either. Yeah, they, they had beef where, you know, uh, when when, uh, when Jim Harbaugh was the uh, coach at Stanford, him and Richard Sherman didn't see eye to eye up to uh, up to the point where when Richard Sherman got hurt, they removed his scholarship and he was playing wide receiver at the time, which is how he ended up playing defensive back. But uh, Jim Harbaugh gave him a hard time about, you know, he wasn't dedicated. He wasn't a team guy. He wasn't into the game and things like that. And I'm saying, well, first of all, I'm, he has to, you know, he ain't got a Stanford, he got a, excuse me, he got a scholarship to play football at Stanford. Something has to say something about that. I mean, you got a guy like that that's as talented as he is. And so, yeah, he says that that it can't be repaired. The 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 rift between him and Jim Harbaugh, it cannot be repaired. And so when I started reading that story, I was like, wow. But I, I said that because when you have a guy like Richard Sherman playing cornerback, who is a former wide receiver, there isn't too many things that you can do outside of outrunning him like we've seen in the NFC Championship game with Dante Adams uh, for the Green Bay Packers. He, he got past him. And Richard Sherman coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon, you know, still still rehabbing that at some point. I've had an Achilles tendon issue since 2009, and it still bothers me. You know, he's lost a step. And so if you can get past him, you know, then then you may be able to beat him. But anything inside that 15-yard range, you're definitely going to have to outthink him. And I don't know if the – Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, and that offense wants to go consistently at Richard Sherman. If I was them, I would put Sammy Watkins over there and let Tyreek Hill do whatever it is he's going to do on the other side. Because I'll be honest with you, Chris, outside of Richard Sherman, I can't name the other defensive backs who start for the 49ers. Now, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And when you look at what Richard Sherman has done this season – I mean, there's, there's a reason why teams aren't targeting him very often. He's get, he got targeted three times per game during the regular season. Um, you know, he played on a, over 500 coverage snaps. He gave up one touchdown all season long. I mean, this is a guy who teams do not want to go up against. And I'm right there with you. I think that this is a situation, and this will be a game, where Andy Reid and this offense is going to try to stay away from that left side of the field because that's where Richard Sherman lives. They're going to go and try and attack Kawan Williams in the slot. They're going to try to attack Akilah Witherspoon on the right side, who does have some speed. So I think you could see, you know, potentially uh, either Sammy Watkins or Miko Hardman over on that side. Um, but you're definitely going to see Tyree Kill play the majority of his time in the slot so he can win that matchup against Kawan Williams and then hopefully blow the top off of those safeties just because his speed is so electric and he's one of the better route runners in the league, uh, certainly one of the most underrated route runners in the league. The guy knows how to you know, run a route, read the play, and make the right decisions. Once again, you tune into the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, Big Sarge, along with Chris Kennedy, who is – the DFS analyst for the fantasy football headliners and co-host of the fantasy Wolfpack, which is part of dynasty Wise sports. I was on a podcast with uh, our good friend, um, Eric Compton, AKA Mr. Business, AKA host of the sports business podcast on last night. And he forced me into a way too early prediction <laughs> on a Ooh. Monday 
And the game is like, the game is still a week away. But force <laughs> me. I gave a prediction. So now, you know, I feel that now that we're here, and it's Tuesday. So, I mean, like, I guess we can make a prediction now. I really know it's still way too early to make a prediction, Chris. But if you had to, with the option of being able to change your prediction on Saturday, who mm-hmm. would you go with right now? Right now, I would go Chiefs 31, 49ers 24. Oh, you got it by seven points. I do. I, right now, the, uh, the, the line right now is the Chiefs are a one-point favorite. The over-under is a 54-and-a-half, and I would just absolutely hammer that over. I think this is going to be a shootout, um, but I certainly think that the Chiefs uh, could, are going are gonna to be able to pull away just a little bit. I know that you know, a lot of people are probably predicting a three-, four-point kind of a game, um, but I'm going to uh, – right now with the early prediction, I'm going to be a little bit bolder and go with a full touchdown. I'm I'm going to say the Chiefs, and I'm going. I I agree with you when it comes to that 31 points. So I'll say the Chiefs 31, but I'm going to say the 49ers 17. And I think that there's going to be some miscues from Jimmy Garoppolo. There's going to be some turnovers from Jimmy Garoppolo, and if they get down, I don't think that the I, I don't think that they can come back. I don't think the 49ers are built to be able to come back from such a deficit. Because, you know, I looked at some of the stats today. Do you know that in the second quarter, the Kansas City Chiefs in the second quarter had scored 42 points, and then in the fourth quarter, they scored 24 points. And in that time, they're giving up like less than 15 to the opponent. And so I'm looking at it as the adjustments are being made after – you know, the first quarter. Like, we remember they got down against the, the Houston Texans by a huge margin, and then they got down to the Tennessee Titans. But they came back, and they won. So by the time the second quarter comes around and they make those adjustments, all they need to do is either turn you over or turn you over as far as the interception or fumble or turn you over on downs, making make you punt. If they can do that by the time the second quarter comes and then in the fourth quarter, where Patrick Mahomes has already seen everything that you could possibly throw at him and say, okay, now I see we're in the fourth quarter. Watch what I do to you. Man, it's almost like playing – it's almost like he's playing Madden. And then by the fourth quarter, it's like, oh, I already know that you're going to run cover two this or you're going to run cover three or you're going to run, you know, one safety high. And now I know what to do and make the adjustments. And, you know, no play is ever over until I say it's over. And so – you know, I think that they're going to have 31 points, and I just don't think that the 49ers can generate enough offense to beat them. No, I, I think you're right. And I think one thing that, you know, when I look at this, the, the 49ers really need to hope that they can get a lead early and that they can maintain that lead. And I say that because their strength of their offense has been the running game, and that's where the Chiefs really do, you know, that's where, that's where they struggle. They rank 29th in the league in rush defense DVOA, and they give up, you know, about 60, 60 receiving yards per game to opposing running backs. The way that the Chiefs shut you down is on the outside. They only allow 56 yards per game to opposing wide receiver ones and 34 receiving yards per game to opposing wide receiver twos. So if the 49ers go down early and they have to, you know, just try to throw the ball and try to make sure that they pass their way back into this game, it's going to be near impossible to do so against this Chiefs secondary because they've been so successful against opposing wide receivers. So I think that for the 49ers, it's going to be build a lead, 
you know, get it early on as, as early as they possibly can rely on that running game. And then also with George Kittle as well, because the chiefs have not been very good when it comes to defending tight ends this year. So the, the key for this game is going to be for the 49ers, the run game and George Kittle, and just hope that they can get a lead and hold on to it. Because as you mentioned, after the first quarter, the chiefs are a completely different team. We saw that against the Texans and the Titans so far in the first two rounds of this playoffs. Before we move on to the next subject, Eli Manning, I say Hall of Famer. You think he's a Hall of Famer? I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but yes, he will get into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I think he, he had a 500 record for his career. Um, and, I, and I know a lot of that, you know, you can't always put that on the quarterback because it is a team sport. Um, you know, but he also has two Super Bowl rings, mainly because of, you know, a couple of big catches and, his, and that front four NASCAR defense that the Giants had. Um, but I, I, I will say at the end of the day, yes, Eli, Eli Manning will be a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, but he will get in. I don't say first ballot either. I don't think that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm thinking maybe at worst, third ballot, maybe, maybe the third time around. But the two Super Bowl rings, even, you know, the two Super Bowl rings secures him a spot in there. But that Manning name pushes it over the top. So I wouldn't be surprised that if he doesn't make it first ballot, he definitely makes it second ballot. And when it comes to so. This is what I try to tell people when it comes to Hall of Fame voting. You got these Hall of Fame voters that are going to take your stats and they're going to look at your stats and they're going to look at your play on the field and they're going to use the stats and the eye test. And then mm -hmm. they're going to use the, well, how did you treat the media? How did you make, as a voter, how did you make me feel? Well, did I have access to you? Was I able to talk to you? If I needed a quote, reach out to you. Eli Manning was that guy. He never had an issue in the locker room. He never had an issue with the media, which is what pushed T.O. to the third ballot. But, you know, he had, we know T.O. had the stats to be first mm -hmm. ballot. But, you know, it when it came into it, it was the pettiness. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's part of the media. I know it and I see it and I'm around it on a consistent basis where there's a lot of pettiness that goes into it when it comes to sports media personalities and these journalists and these on-air personalities who have these votes. It goes into it. Eli is one of those guys, who, you know, outside of what the, the, the journey, journey, the Jersey signing controversy, the fake, wasn't it fake memorabilia that, that they ended up, they were selling. They said that it was game worn, but it really wasn't game worn. Do you remember that scandal? Yeah, and I, I don't know whatever came of it. I don't know if they, there was actual evidence that he that he you know participated in that. But yeah, it was it was fal it was it was false merchandise or you know game worn uh, merchandise that they said was his, but it actually wasn't. Um, and I think that was the you know the the biggest quote unquote scandal surrounding Eli Manning throughout his career. Yes, and so and that's what I'm saying. So if you look at that, they'd be like, oh look, just water under the bridge. You know, I mean, he's just trying to make a couple of extra dollars, even though he was what he made two hundred fifty million dollars throughout his career. And hasn't he been the highest paid quarterback in the history of the NFL? Yeah, and for a guy that throws as many interceptions as Jameis Winston, that's a pretty good deal for him. <laughs> right. And so I was thinking of Eli Manning, and I, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, because you being the 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 professional that you are, that's why I asked you about Eli Manning. But of course, we know earlier this month 
he decided to step away from the game. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know if Eli still had anything in him. I don't think he did. And I do think that, you know, by them going with uh, Danny Dimes, that is the yep. great way to go. I don't know what Jason Garrett, the new offensive coordinator, is going to do. Or um, what's the special teams coach that you all used to have in New England that's the uh, head coach now? Joe, Joe Judge. Yeah, Joe Judge. I don't know what he's going to be as a head coach for the – because he's coaching the Giants, correct? Yes, he was just appointed the uh, the Giants head coach, yep. Yeah, and so I don't know what, what they're going to do with Danny Dines, but I know that they couldn't have done anything with Eli Manning. So he walked away, you know, on his own terms. He retired. Mm-hmm. Phillip Rivers, the quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers, Chris, is he going to have that same opportunity, or are they literally pushing him out the door? So there was a report, and the the original report was from Fox Sports' Jay Glazer, who initially reported that the the Chargers had, quote-unquote, moved on from Phillip Rivers. And then earlier today, he clarified that report saying, you know, they they pretty much have mutually agreed to part ways and that Phillip Rivers will become a free agent. So with Phillip Rivers no longer a part of the L.A. Chargers' plans, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, where does he go from here? And my initial thought, and I actually had kind of discussed this on Facebook with a few people about, about a week or two ago when the news first came out that uh, Rivers had sold his home um, in LA or in, you know, in, in the San Diego area and moved back to Florida to be closer to his family. And so my initial thought was, well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be a phenomenal fit for Philip Rivers because the Buccaneers haven't really you know, given a huge vote of confidence with Jameis Winston, especially Bruce Arians, who has very mixed results to say about him. So you go into an offense that has two of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You have a super young, very talented tight end in OJ Howard. Hopefully Bruce Arians finally decides to utilize him in the offense. Uh, And then, you know, the biggest opportunity I think right now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be a running back, a running back in their secondary. If they can address both of those issues, either via the draft or free agency, and then you bring in a veteran quarterback like Phillip Rivers, I mean, that's a team that can compete for the NFC South, you know, at least a wild card spot, and has a chance to make the playoffs next year. I think if you make those moves, the Buccaneers will be a playoff contender in 2020. So here's my thing when it comes to Phillip Rivers. Well, well, let me talk about Jameis Winston first. I like Jameis Winston. I really do. I like Jameis Winston. I, I do, too. I do, too. And he's like, listen, I don't think that there is a pass or a coverage that Jameis Winston has looked at and be like, I can make that happen. But Jameis, there, he's double covered. Like, there's two people on Mike Evans. One is actually standing in front of him. He's like, yeah, I, can, I think I can make that happen. I can actually, like, roll <laughs> the ball through him. Or I'm going to throw it this way and hopefully Mike, you know, step aside before the linebacker does and picks this off. And if he does, guess what? We're going to come back this same play again and I'm going to try mm-hmm. like, if I keep throwing it 10 times I should be successful at least 3 and so that's how I look at it when it comes to Jameis Winston there isn't a, a coverage that he hasn't seen he's like yeah I can beat that Two, I hope they get him some good context like I'm tired of seeing you squint Jameis Winston go to, uh, uh, t- to the eye doctor go to the optometrist and be like I can't see and I don't care if they give you context that are so thick that if you start crying it's like the water's filling up in a, a fish tank. I don't care. 
just get you some some type of context. And I think that it'll be one of those things where he is like, it could open up his whole world if they got us some context. Three, I'm not liking Philip Rivers going to Tampa Bay. I don't, in all honesty, I don't like Philip Rivers going to any team. I, I know that he wants to find a job, and I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a backup because he's like, uh, I got nine kids. Do you know what that's like being at home with no job and nine kids? <laughs> I'll be driving the minivan around all day from sun up to sundown, from dropping them off to school to picking one up from choir practice, one up from glee club, one up from soccer practice. The other one, I don't even know what he wants to do. He just wants to hang out. I don't think he he's like Vince Carter to me because I think that Vince Carter, who plays for the Atlanta Hawks. Like retire already, Vince. I don't think Vince wants to go home. I think that there's a daddy duke list for him as well. But Philip Rivers, Chris, I've never been so I don't know why I'm not. When I don't like the way he throws the ball. It doesn't look like he's throwing it more than he's shot putting it. Two, he has had so many failures at the end of games. I it's always and, and he always makes it look like it's somebody else's fault. And I'm saying, no, Philip. That's your fault. You threw that pass. You threw the bad pass. And you want to sit there and it's either the re- the, the referee's fault or the wide receiver's fault. Uh, he never takes, you know, blame for anything. But he'll talk trash if he does something good. So I've just never been sold on him. So in all honesty, Chris, I want him to retire. And he did. He, he's in the same draft class as Eli Manning. You know, we all know what happened in that draft class where, you know, Eli Manning's dad pretty much threw a fit and said, well, my son's not going to play for the Chargers. And, you know, we all know what happened. So, you know, where Eli Manning retires, yeah, Philip Rivers may have one more year left in him. Um, but it's going to have to, if he wants a chance to win a championship, I mean, there are very few teams that he could go to where he will get that opportunity as a starting quarterback. So you very well could be right where he, the next team he goes to, it could be as a backup situation, you know, and, and it, maybe it's for contender, but, I mean, he's at the point in his career now where, yeah, he's got a year left, if that, um, because he's not like a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady that is going to be able to play until they're 40-plus years old. He just – he isn't that type of quarterback. So basically what you're telling me, Chris, is get ready for the Tyrod Taylor era to start in L.A. That or also <laughs> where they have the number six overall pick. Um, I actually have the I, – I think – so I actually wrote a – um, an off-season article uh, for the fantasy headliners where, you know, with them, uh, we kind of each took teams and we gave like a wish list of what we hope that this team does in the off-season. And I actually have the Chargers taking Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert with that number six overall pick. Now, I think that Herbert is a, is a kind of quarterback where he's not someone you can just throw into the fire day one and he'll produce. I think he's someone that needs to learn from a veteran quarterback um, and then the next year he could probably step into that role. Is Tyrod Taylor that veteran that I would want him to learn from? I think there are worse options out there. You know, Tyrod Taylor is somebody that is very good at uh, securing the football, not turning it over, making the right decisions. Um, but I think that whoever the Chargers do bring in for next season is going to be more of a placeholder for the eventual starter in 2021. We shall see now. But that being said, so because all I heard also was there's an opening. There's a there will be a job opening in LA. And I can't think of no one else to go and fill that job 
in LA than the person we was talking about off air, um, you know, when we were prepping for this show. And that's that's Tom Brady. I mean, LA, okay, so when when LeBron James decided that his career was about to be over, which I think that this is his last this is this four year contract that he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers, this is gonna be it for him. Uh, he needed four years to mm-hmm. get there and set up shop and, you know, rub some elbows with some people and make some investments, and that's it. LeBron is built for L.A. He looks Hollywood already. He's there. So he's there to build his roots. Like, why not Tom Brady, the guy which, by the way, Chris, the guy who has perfect hair. Man, I didn't think that I would actually be looking at Tom Brady uh, when they came here to play the Houston, Texas, I'm sitting there and I'm looking and I was like, this guy really has good hair. And I'm saying to myself, I'm sitting there sitting in front of him at the press conference. I'm trying to fix my hair. Like, why my hair can't be as good as Tom <laughs> Brady's? But he has really good hair. He has a model wife. A, a model wife. Yep. And, you know, he has everything that that encompasses that whole California, L.A., Beverly Hills, Hollywood lifestyle. It's already Tom Brady. And he's had that being in New England. And so why not bring him out and let him finish his career with the LA Chargers? So here's the thing that I have with with that certain situation. Um, the Chargers are going to have a, a just over $50 million in, in cap space uh, this offseason. So where Brady has already come out and pretty much said that he's not going to give New England a hometown discount. You know, if he is going to resign with them, he wants to get paid. And I'm assuming, I'm guessing that number is going to be between 25 to $28 million a year. All right. So let's say that the Chargers do pay him around that much. That cuts their salary cap space in half. Now they have other free agents that they may or may not want to resign. You have Melvin Gordon, who's 27 years old. He's a free agent. You have Hunter Henry, who's only 25. He's a free agent. You also have backup running back Austin Eckler at age 25. He's a restricted free agent. So you have these three main corner pieces of your offense that are going to be testing the waters of free agency and that will get paid. Teams out there will overpay for these guys because they are, you know, some of the top level players at their respective positions. So that's also going to cut into a lot of cap space if the Chargers are to resign these players. I don't see Brady going to a team where he cannot compete for a championship because he is just too competitive. It's just his, his nature. It's his drive. He won't go to a team and just settle to be eight and eight, maybe nine and you know nine nine and six. Um, he's he's going to a team where he's going to compete for a championship, and I don't see that with the Chargers next season. So basically, what we're saying is is that have we seen seen the end of the Tom Brady era in New England? Because I don't think that I don't think Bill Belichick will sign off on that amount of money when it comes to an aging quarterback like Tom Brady. And if Robert Kraft, you know, comes in and says, well, it's my team and I'm the one that writes the checks and he writes this check for Tom Brady. Is that the end of the Belichick era? I don't think so. And I know that there have been rumors about, you know, the relationship between Brady and Belichick. Um, you know, especially after the whole Jimmy G trade, you know, when they pretty much just gave away Garoppolo to the 49ers, you know, uh, Brady and Robert Kraft have a great relationship. And that's, you know, I think kind of, it, it certainly gets in the way with Brady and Belichick. Now, when you look at the New England Patriots offseason, yes, Brady's going to want a lot of money. 
and the Patriots actually are going to have less salary cap than the Chargers. So I think what the Patriots should do if they do decide to bring Brady back is sign him to a two or three year deal and make a lot of it, you know, back the, the back end just completely loaded. You know, that's where he gets the most of his money in either year two or year three. So that way in his first year back, he would get less money and it would allow the team to address the offensive needs, which are absolutely immediate. It's wide receiver, tight end, they need pass catchers. So that would then allow them to go out and sign a, a free agent wide receiver like an AJ Green, maybe sign him to a lesser, you know, lesser contract with, you know, the promise of, well, you have a chance to win a Super Bowl with us. So maybe he takes less money. You know, uh, speaking of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Rashad Perriman, he's a free agent. We saw what he could do when he was the number one guy with Tampa Bay towards the end of the season. So I think those are some options. And then you look at tight end. Hunter Henry is a free agent. Austin Hooper is a free agent. So if they were to offer Brady less money for that first year, but sign him to a multi-year deal where he gets more money that second or third year, that would free up more cap space that would allow the Patriots to acquire those pass catchers that they need and then address other needs throughout the draft as well with the number 23 overall pick. So if I'm New England, that's kind of my, that's my thinking. That's what I would do. So I don't want to say that it's the end of the Tom Brady era in New England. Um, he certainly has already said that he's not going to retire. He still has something left in the tank. Um, I think that it's, I think it's 75-25 that he stays with the Patriots and signs a new contract with them. I would be absolutely shocked if he does go elsewhere. Any way you think that they could get into Amari Cooper's ear, and by Amari Cooper being a, a former uh, University of Alabama wide receiver, maybe go through Nick Saban to get him to talk to him as well, and maybe they can coerce him to come up to play in New England, if Dallas is not going to give them the money, do you think that they will? They could use that championship, uh, the championship run, that Super Bowl run, the, the opportunity to earn a title. Do you think they could use that to to lure uh, an Amari Cooper up there? I thought about that, to be honest with you, but he's only twenty six years old. You know, he knows he still has, you know, years left in the tank where he, you know, could hopefully sign on to a team later in his career to win that championship. AJ Green, he's 31 32 years old so we don't know how much how much time he really has left in the league because he's dealt with injuries over the last few seasons now um with amari cooper he's probably going to be looking for you know probably 15 to 17 million dollars a year and new england just won't have the the ability to to sign him to that kind of a contract uh now with that being said it depends on amari cooper and if he really wants to you know how badly he wants to win you know is it about money or is it about winning? So if it's about winning, then yeah, maybe he's willing to take less. You know, maybe he could take, you know, 10 million a year as opposed to 15 or 16. Um, and then, and sign maybe even, even if it's just like a two or three year deal, you know, with a, you know, a, a player option where he can opt out of his contract after the second year, if he wanted to. Um, I, I'm not completely keen on contracts and how they work, but I think that's something that could be a possibility because Amari Cooper and his ability, his route running ability is easily a top three route runner in the league. Amari Cooper with Tom Brady would be absolutely just deadly in this league. Once again, you're tuning into the Sports Talk with Big Sarge podcast. I'm your host, Big Sarge. And um, along with me today, I have my very, very good friend, Chris Kennedy, who is the DFS analyst for the Fantasy Football Headliners. And he's a co-host of the Fantasy Wolfpack, Chris. So on today, because listen, 
in New England, I, I've always wanted to know this. Up there in Massachusetts, right in the in the New England area, mm-hmm. do you all look down at the Houston Texans and be like, "Huh, look at us, the in a, the the New England Patriots of the South. Look at that." I never thought that we could be that way. I remember so Def Jam, right? Because I know that you're 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 a huge uh, hip hop rap connoisseur as well. And so I, I remember yes, had that you know that talk about DMX who has been underrated his whole career. We had that discussion, but I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that Def Jam branched off at one point and had Def Jam South, and the president of Def Jam South was none other than. Brad Jordan, a.k.a. Scarface of the Ghetto Boys, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, do you know he only, as president of Def Jam South, do you know he only signed one artist, right? You know who that artist was? Who did he sign? No. Ludacris. And then after Ludacris... Really? Yes. After Ludacris, he left. But the Def Jam South name was so strong because of Def Jam. We think of Def Jam, we think of Rick Rubin, which, by the way, I like Rick Rubin. He's very eclectic, and that's what I like about him. But, you know, Rick Rubin, you got Run DMC, the Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, like all of them coming from Def Jam, you know, Def Jam. So that name carries a lot. The Mm -hmm. New England Patriots in, in the NFL, you know, their name carries a lot. And it's almost like now the Houston Texans are trying to become the New England Patriots of the South, which my it just boggles my mind. On today, they named head coach Bill O'Brien, who had the interim term of general interim tag, excuse me, of general manager, along with the committee that he said that he was using. Like they went ahead and named him. General manager. Now, I like the moves that he used. You know, and I know he gave up the farm. He gave up all the draft picks, you know, that the Houston Texans had to try to make them competitive now. You know, and try to make them win right now. And I know that now they're going to have to pay Laramie Tonson a lot of money. So he's going to have to put that GM hat on really quick and get to running because he has a lot of people that he needs to resign. But Chris, I think that being head coach and general manager is taking something away from both of those. You can't be a great head coach and a great general manager. You can't be a great general manager and be a great head coach because you're doing the fans a disservice. At that point, there's something that's lacking because your time it your time is split. And the Patriots way, which is what you all call it, like they don't do that. Now we know that uh, that Belichick makes a lot of decisions, but at the end of the day, he's like, look, I'm the head coach. Y'all gonna do what y'all need to do. Run it by me, but I'm not gonna sit in the office and make all these other decisions that I don't have to when I could be drawing up a new defense. So is that what you all, do you all look down, you know, at the bottom of the map in Texas and say, oh, look at that. New England Patriots of the South. I, I will say this, and it's, it's funny because, you know, both Bill O'Brien and Romeo Cornell have, you know, Patriots ties. So I, when, for us up here in New England, um, too, right? we don't, I'm sorry? Easterby as well, right? That's correct. Yeah. So we don't really look at the, and this is, this is not a knock on the, on the Texans, but we don't really look at the Texans as the Patriots South or the little brother or any real sort of 
competition, I guess you could say. Like we don't see it as a rivalry. Um, and and yes, the Texans did beat the Patriots this year, and and well deserved. Um, but we, I think, as as Patriots fans, we all kind of know Bill O'Brien's history, uh, not as well as you guys do. But we see this Texans team with so much potential. But we're like, you know what? Bill O'Brien's the head coach. He's going to find a way to screw it up. So we're okay. We don't have to worry about anything. Um, and, and when you look at what this team has done uh, with the Houston Texans, I mean, unfortunately, you know, they haven't, they haven't gotten to a conference game, you know, an AFC conference championship. You know, it's been either a one and done or, uh, you know, they will get to that divisional round. And the biggest thing when I saw today that Bill O'Brien was promoted to general man, you know, the official general manager, and that he would still remain as the head coach. Um, why? That was the first thing that, that popped out of my mouth was why? Why not get a head coach that can make the right decisions during the game? I'm going to go back to the divisional game against the Chiefs when the Texans were up 21 to nothing in the first quarter. They were driving to ready to score another touchdown. They were in the red zone. They were in Chiefs territory. And on fourth and one, you have the Chiefs on their heels. And Bill O'Brien decides to kick a field goal instead of go for it. And at that moment, that is when the momentum changed and the ball game was handed right over to the Kansas City Chiefs. That was a moment where you could have stepped on their throat and won that football game. Yep. But no, Bill O'Brien decided to take his foot off the gas, take the easy point, and we all know what happened after that. <laughs> and that was crazy because the, the Kansas City Chiefs scored on seven straight possessions after that. Seven straight. And that, like you said, that he said he didn't just... have a fourth. He said he didn't have a fourth down play. How do you, you're an NFL head coach. Most Madden players have a fourth, go to fourth down play. How do you not have a fourth down play? With one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. You got Deshaun Watson at best. Just say, hey, we're going to go uh, Deshaun Wright. We're going to pull this guard, and we're going to get Darren Fells out here in this space, and we're just going to see what we can do. You know? It's like, hey, look. You, or why didn't you just say, hey, Deshaun. <coughs> Excuse me. Hey, Deshaun, what, what is it that you want to run? Like, here's fourth down and one. Deshaun, can you think of any play? Because I guarantee you that if that was Lamar Jackson and he came to the sideline, it would have been Lamar, Harbaugh, and Roman. And they would have said, all right, Lamar, what do you think? What are you seeing on the field? Do you think that we can get this one yard? And what play do you think that we can call? Like, that's yeah. where, you know, that's that's what you need to do. You need, and, and that's my problem right there, too. As For as much as I think that Bill O'Brien is a good guy, I just honestly and truly think he has underachieved as a head coach. And I think that he's underachieved as a head coach because of things like uh what like like things that transpired today by making him the general manager. You're only giving him more power, more control, which is what he actually needs to relinquish in order for this team to be successful. And this is just my opinion. But there's no possible mm -hmm. way that I feel that Bill O'Brien should still be calling plays. Like, I don't. I don't think that he should still be calling offensive plays because he calls those plays like his, as if he's still up in Massachusetts. Like he's still, you know, coaching the quarter because he was the quarterback's coach with the New England Pages, correct? 
He was, he was. And I, and I will say that, you know, he as a general manager, I'm, I'm okay with that move. You know, as you mentioned earlier, he's made personnel decisions that, you know, yeah, he did. He gave up, you know, the next few years of first round picks, which isn't ideal, but you're hoping that Laramie Tunsil will be able to, you know, stay healthy and really kind of shore up that left side of the line, you know, eliminate the penalties. Um, Gary on Conley, you know, who was a former first or second round pick, they got him for a third round pick and he started playing so much better after that trade to the Texans than what we saw with him in Oakland. Um, you know, they made the move for Duke Johnson, who I think can still be a lead back in this NFL. He just needs to be given the opportunity. So I like the personnel decisions and the moves that he made as a general manager, but you're absolutely right. He needs to relinquish the play calling duties, just like <laughs> Dallas had to do with uh, Jason Garrett years ago. Exactly. And uh, what is that? So now where does that leave Nick Casario then? So with, with Nick Casario, um, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Uh, so, because his contract is up with the Patriots, right? I'm sorry, and I should have—I probably should have said this. Sir, I remember that Nick Casario was in the running for being the general manager for the Houston Texans, but he was still under contract with the Patriots, and then Patriots were going to drop tampering charges because his name was brought up, and because um, during a ceremony, I think during the ring ceremony, him and Easterby, uh, I think who was named president of football operations today as well. Um, were conversing and so the New England Patriots like well no Nick Casero is still under contract you all can't talk to him but now that they've uh promoted Bill Bill O'Brien to general manager Nick Casario what what does he do now did the is the Patriots going to resign him So that's that's going to be an interesting move because um as of I think earlier this afternoon I read something on uh, the Boston Globe that with Casario and the Texans, any any potential hopes of him joining that organization are pretty much they're they're dead now. You know those talks are are have kind of finalized, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be going anywhere. Um, so as far as Casario rejoining the Patriots, those talks also haven't really been heating up either. So he very well could be you know a, a free agent at some point. The Patriots did just recently lose their offensive line coach who they had had over the last 20 years, he retired today. So that's going to be a, a kind of a big blow for New England right now. Um, but as far as, uh, as far as Casario, there's his status is still kind of up in the air just because he's no longer talking with the Texans yet. He's also not talking with New England. It's going to be interesting. I'm pretty sure he's going to guys like him land on their feet very, very quickly. I mean, if um, Lane Kiffin can keep getting jobs, if Mike Leach can keep getting jobs, you know, if people like that can land on their feet, I'm pretty sure Nick Casario, outside of anything, uh, it, it, the only scandal attached to his name or potential scandal was tampering issues. I'm pretty sure he's going to land on his feet. So uh, last thing I have for you, Chris, is that this past Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, and I got opened up the show with, you know, we lost a sports icon in uh, NBA legend Kobe Bryant. Chris, when you mm. first seen that story or, you know, when it first came across the wire, when it first came across your phone, you know, what was your initial reaction? And then what was your reaction after you found out that it was true? So I remember I was, so it was, you know, Sunday afternoon and I'm at my computer doing some work, doing some research, getting things ready for, you know, the articles that I'm going to be uh, planning on writing this week. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm on Twitter, 
just checking, you know, some sort of updates. And I saw uh, an update from TMZ that said Kobe Bryant uh, killed in a helicopter accident. And my first thought was, no, like there's, there's, there's absolutely no way. Um, and then, you know, as the minutes and the, within the hours, everything kind of passed through, it had been confirmed. They were still trying to figure out who else was on the helicopter and what exactly had happened. Um, but it was honestly, it was, and, and I remember I, I had, uh, I had actually had messaged you a little bit later after that. And it was the first time that I can remember, um, seeing the news of somebody passing that wasn't a family or friend and just being completely numb to the situation. Um, I, I didn't know how to feel, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't know how to react. I remember texting a bunch of my friends and, you know, letting them know, because I know that I probably had seen it before they had. And their initial reaction was no way, not no way. And then a couple of minutes later, it was, I, I can't believe it. Um, and I'm kind of stammering here just because I'm trying to find the right words to say. Yeah. And I know that it's kind of hit me a little bit more now than it has, you know, on Sunday and, and even yesterday, but it still doesn't, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real that somebody, you know, who is only a few years removed from the game, from being in the limelight, being in front of us every single night uh, is just, it's no, he's no longer with us. And, you know, you, you think about his family, the other families um, of the victims that were involved in this accident. And it's, you know, whether you knew somebody personally or if you would just watch them from afar, you still have that connection with them. Um, you know, you still feel sadness for that loss because that's something that you aren't going to be able to get back again. You know, whether it's not being able to spend time with a loved one or not being able to see your favorite athlete on TV anymore. Um, there's there's this, this void that is inside of you um, that really does make you miss that person, even if you didn't actually know them. So that's kind of, that, that was my initial thoughts and kind of what I've been going through over the last couple of days. Yeah, I heard Shannon Sharp yesterday say that, you know, Kobe isn't supposed to die. And, you know, when I heard that, I could understand what he was saying. And, you know, when I was on the uh, podcast, on the Sports Business Podcast with Eric on last night, I said, and I understand what, like I said, I understand what Shannon Sharp was saying. You know, I know that we are, um, we're born, you know, the moment we're born, we're preparing to die. Our life only has a certain amount of time. We only have a certain amount of life expectancy here. Kobe Bryant, to me, wasn't someone that was supposed to die. He was supposed to ride off into the sunset. Like, we weren't supposed to be able to see, you know, a, a horrific accident like this take such an iconic person and not only was he iconic as far as basketball was concerned but off the court Chris the one thing that I loved on watching Kobe Bryant uh you know be who he is the dad that he is you know the figure that he is away from the court was because I got the feeling and the sense that he checked the box of playing NBA basketball and said, what's next? And Kobe seems like one of those type of guys that once he checks the box, he's done. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like, I never got the feeling that Kobe Bryant wanted to go back to the NBA at all, period. Not as a basketball player. Maybe as a, a owner one day. I don't even see him being a coach or a general manager because he was enjoying life. And that's the one thing that I look at when it comes to Michael Jordan. I say, 
he doesn't look like he's enjoying life because he never relinquished the game. And Kobe relinquished the game when he said, Mamba out. I'm done. That's it. I'm, I'm over. I'm going home, and I'm going to be a dad, and I'm going to play with my daughters and spend time with my wife and coach, you know, my daughter who is my twin, and that's what we're going to going to do. And so that's why it hit me so hard. In my article that I wrote called Mamba out on, uh, on BigStarSports.com, I said I hadn't felt that way about a celebrity passing away, even though there's been so many. I haven't felt that way about a celebrity passing away, Chris, since Michael Jackson passed away in 2009. I knew exactly mm -hmm. what I was doing doing that day on June 25th, uh, uh, 2009, and I knew exactly what I was doing on this past Saturday, I mean, this past Sunday, excuse me, when Kobe Bryant passed away. So, man, it's just, and it's still... It still hasn't hit myself and others that he is no longer here. You 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 never thought that you would watch a NBA Hall of Fame, you know, ceremony and not see Kobe Bryant being able to give his own speech with his daughters and his wife sitting in the crowd. And so I'm like I said, it, it's I just got off the phone with a friend earlier who is a huge Laker fan and Kobe is his second favorite player next to Magic Johnson and I hadn't talked mm. to him since Sunday and he told me he said B I hadn't called you you know we hadn't talked he's like because I still needed time to process that and he says that I used to look at people and say how could you like feel some type of way of a celebrity that passed away that you never even knew and he says I got that feeling on Sunday so you know, man, it's it's just one of those things now where we are at a point to, you know, go, I guess we got to start life without Kobe Bryant. So I just wanted to make sure that I put that out and ask you um, about that. Hey, Chris, tell them where they can find you at. Absolutely. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter uh, at Chris Kennedy 318. Um, but you'll also find all of my articles and content over at the fantasyheadliners.com. All right, and then uh, you can find me at Big Star Sports with a Z on Twitter and Instagram and also at BigStarSports.com. Hey, Chris, before you go, man, can I, can, can I interest you in doing this again after the Super Bowl? And I know that it's too early to ask this, but can you make me a promise to come on after the uh, 2020 uh, CBA is signed by the NFL Players Association because I'm really interested in seeing are the are the players going to actually win this time. Oh, absolutely! I think that uh, you know it'll be interesting to see if they can win that because I know that they're talking about increasing the salary cap for you know after this upcoming season. So I mean that's going to certainly help out a lot of teams uh, this you know in the next year or two. Um, but you name the time and the place, man. I'll be there. Yeah, because I also have to pick your brain on what you think about, you know, because you are a New England Patriots fan. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I haven't I mm -hmm. haven't asked you this on air, off air, on social media. I haven't asked you what you thought about the Mike McCarthy hiring. So can we save that for next week? Oh, absolutely. Hey, man, thanks again for coming on, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dodge. I really appreciate it, man. Always good to chat with you. All right, brother.